suspend your disbeliefs. Yeah, suspend your disbeliefs. I was not the higher power kind of person. You know, I was, uh, you know, very cynical and sarcastic in my head as I heard people talking about their higher power. And uh, when I finally really, really let go, life started to get better. It's time for the Share Recovery Podcast, where we bring you amazing life-changing success stories from addicts and alcoholics all over the world who share their inspiring journey in recovery. And now, here's your host, Oh. Hey everybody, and welcome to another episode of TSP, the Share Podcast. And today we have Brian Bayless joining us on the show. Now, Brian is the founder of Ascent, and Ascent is a recovery solution phone app that allows you to connect with other individuals in recovery, to have an actual peer recovery coach at your disposal 24-7, a panic button, a counselor chat feature, motivational videos, programmed place alerts. This I thought was really cool. If you go by a place that you've programmed into your phone, your phone will beep when you're close to a place that you're not supposed to be at and will put your recovery in jeopardy, which I thought was a very cool feature. The truth is that there's probably thousands of recovery-related websites, applications, podcasts, radio shows. Technology has made it possible for us to connect in a way that we have never been able to do so before. My point is that if you are looking for recovery, you will find recovery. If you are looking for a solution, you will find a solution. But so many of us live in the drama. We love the drama. We love the chaos, the poor me's, the what am I supposed to do now? And the question is rhetorical in many cases because we're not even looking for an answer. What we want is just the ability to complain or blame and not take action. But when we have all of these resources at our disposal, it's impossible to deny that help is there for those who seek it, which is one of the things that you'll notice particularly in Brian's story is his level of denial and his blatant disregard for the help that was actually available to him. But before we dive into Brian's story, I just want to talk a little bit more about the topic of chronic relapsing. I see this in the private accountability group a lot. The good news is that the members of the group will relapse, they come back and they say, man, I relapsed, I need to start all over again. Then what'll happen is, depending on the level of severity that they went through during the relapse, their level of resolve is usually somewhere in the neighborhood of just how bad the relapse is. So if you had a really bad relapse, then you usually have a really strong resolve to get back into the you know group and do things differently this time. And then if it's not that big of a relapse, the resolve is not that big either. The reality of it is big or small, whatever happened to you during that last run is an indication of a lot of things. And one of those things is your tools. What tools do you have? What coping mechanisms do you have to prevent a relapse, if any? I've told this to my sponsees many times. It's very easy to stay sober, to stay clean when everything is going great. You know, my job is going great. I've got this amazing girlfriend or I've got this amazing wife. When things are going well, 
it's very easy to maintain your sobriety and your clean time. But when the shit hits the fan, that's the question. That's when you know, that's when the rubber meets the road. And you know whether or not you've got the, you've got the coping skills necessary to get through just for today. This too shall pass. The little cliches that you hear and that are embedded in our minds in all the meetings. One day at a time, just for today, people, places, and things. There's so many little cliches that we use in early recovery because they're easy to remember and they're easy to grasp. As we move further into our recovery, the real work begins. And the questions you have to ask yourself right after a relapse are, should I change my sponsor? Should I get a sponsor? Should I make 90 meetings in 90 days? Should I take inventory of all the people, places, and things around me that are potential triggers for me? And how do I eradicate these from my life? And it doesn't have to be forever. It could just be a situation where you decide, okay, for the next six months, I am going to stay away from these people. I'm going to stay away from these places and I'm not going to do these things. But in many cases, what happens is when we try and do these things alone, then you're basically alone making decisions with a drug addict, with an alcoholic. So whatever sounds like a good idea today could sound like a shit idea tomorrow. And the only judge, jury, and executioner is all embodied in one person. So with all these tools that we have at our disposal, why aren't more people staying sober? Well, I'd say the answer is obvious, that you're not using these tools at your disposal. You have the recovery groups, you have meetings, you have smart recovery, you have these recovery apps where you could go online, download them, and connect yourself with like-minded individuals, with peer counselors, with all these different resources, and yet... I find myself all alone making a decision whether or not to pick up. So what's the answer? What do I do? There's so many possibilities. It's so overwhelming. Where do I begin? You got to keep it simple. You literally just have to keep it simple. And the most important question you have to ask yourself of all the other questions is, am I willing to go to any length? That's the most important question. That's the question I always ask my sponsees. Are you willing to go to any length? Because if they're not, then you're wasting your time. What am I willing to do this time? What can I do differently this time around that will make the difference? What tools will I adopt this time around that I can use before I pick up, not after? That's where we need to begin. Those are the questions you need to ask yourselves. So let's go over a few scenarios real quick. Let's say, for example, you have under six months of sobriety and you come home and your husband or your wife is sleeping with somebody else. What do you do? Scenario number two, you're a single parent. You've had a very tough week at work. You're exhausted and your mother comes over and says, you know what? Why don't you relax? Take the day for yourself. I'll take care of the kids. And now you have an entire day all by yourself to do whatever you want. Do you go to a meeting? Do you call your accountability buddy to have coffee? Talk about the tough week you had at work? Or do you go to the bar down the street for a Diet Coke? Scenario number three, you just got home from high school and you failed your chemistry exam. You realize you may have to repeat the year all over again. And so you burst into tears. You're so angry and frustrated, and if your parents find out, they're going to kill you. You come home, 
Your eyes are all bloodshot from all the crying. You're depressed. And your mom's like, what's wrong with you? Are you okay? What happened? Nothing. I'm fine. I'm fine. Don't worry about it. Are you getting high again? Are you smoking pot again? Do you, A, blow up at your mother and tell her, I can't believe you would accuse me of that. I told you. I don't do that anymore. And it's been like four weeks since you got high last. Or B, do you say, no, mom, I didn't get high. I just didn't want to tell you. I failed my chemistry exam and I'm probably going to have to repeat the year over again. Or C, just storm out of the house and go get high. She wants to see high. I'll show her high. Or scenario four, the big one, which is one of your parents just died. One of the ones that you're the closest to that's been there supporting you throughout this whole time that you've been this train wreck of a drug addict, alcoholic mess. And three months into your recovery, they have a heart attack and pass away. What do you do? Do you A, immediately jump into your drug of choice? Or B, call somebody that you know in recovery and say, my parent just died and I need your help now. Do you go back out and use like a madman? Or do you go to your remaining parent, your mother or your father that's still alive, and say, I'm here for you. And I know I've been a disaster for I don't know how long now, but I'm going to walk you through this very difficult time in both of our lives. We can do this together, which I can guarantee you with every fiber in my being that that decision, that right decision, will be the best decision you ever made in your life. If you fail to plan, then you're planning to fail. Whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. More cliches that maybe some of you are tired of listening to, but the reality is that the choice is up to us. If you fail to plan ahead, if you do not ask yourself the tough questions, if you do not compile tools in your recovery tool belt, you will fail. One in 10 of us make it the first year in recovery. There are so many tools at your disposal. There's so many things that you can do to prepare yourself for the worst. And today we're going to discuss one of these new apps that are available on your phone that you can access recovery 24-7, much like the private accountability group that you can access 24-7. The idea is to be connected, to be plugged in, and to be prepared. So let's jump into Brian's story. Let's find out a little bit more about this app. But first, a little share podcast news. Okay, guys, another quick reminder that on May 6th, 7th, and 8th of this year, 2016, in Manuel Antonio, Costa Rica, is the International AA Convention here in Costa Rica. So what I've done is on the homepage of the Share Podcast, I have put a banner. Just click on that banner. It sends you right to the page where you can get all the information about the convention, how to register, and about hotel accommodations. I have personally attended this convention about five times. I love it. The weather is fantastic, and it's always a good time. So if you have the resources and the time, I'd love to meet you in person. If you can't make it out to Costa Rica, but you live somewhere near Seattle, I will be at the Seattle International Narcotics Anonymous Convention this year, July 29th, 30th, and 31st. 2016. It will be held at the Seattle Airport Marriott, 
and I will be the main speaker on Friday night opening up the convention. If you go to the Share Podcast website, on the right-hand side of the website, you'll see a banner. It's a blue banner that says SINAC 2016. Click on that banner. It'll send you to the page where you have information about room rates, about registering for the convention. Everything you need to know about attending the convention is right on that website. So again, I would love to meet you guys in person. If you can make it out there, would love to see you. And as always, a big thank you to all of our listeners who sent in their generous donations. The most recent donations were from Wendy, Ty, Ed, Katie, Susie, Brian, Lewis, and Marla. Again, the entire amount of your donation goes towards maintaining and growing the show. If you would like to make a donation, just go to the website. On the right-hand side of the page, you'll see a big yellow button, and it says Donate via PayPal. Click on that button. It'll take you right to the Donate page. And if you're going to buy something on Amazon anyway, then you might as well go to the Share Podcast, click on the banner that says Amazon, and then make your purchase after you've clicked on that banner. What that will do is anything you purchase on Amazon will kick back a little commission to the Share podcast. It's not going to cost you a penny more, and it's going to absolutely help support and grow the show. And if you haven't done so yet, don't forget to leave us a five-star rating and review on iTunes or Stitcher Radio. It's the best way to show your support, and it's the best way for us to rank higher on these search engines and help more people easily find the Share podcast. And of course, the Share Podcast Private Accountability Group. Again, it is growing like crazy. We're up to 797 members. And again, the beautiful thing about the private group is that it's a safe place for anyone dealing with an addiction problem to join up and ask for help. Questions like, where's the nearest meeting? Or, I'm thinking about relapsing. What should I do? I'm having using dreams. I'm substituting food for drugs. So these topics will get posted in the group and the other members will jump right in and give their experience, strength, and hope. So if you haven't joined, it's a lot of fun. It's Facebook. It's free. Get in there. Join in. Do some service. Get some help. It's a great way to support the show. To join the group, just go to the top of the Facebook search bar. Type in S-H-A-I-R private group and the Share Podcast Private Accountability Group will pop right up. So for more information about the Costa Rica Convention, the Seattle Convention, the Private Accountability Group, how to donate, or anything else Share-related, just go to the website www.thesharepodcast.com or email me at o at thesharepodcast.com and I'll get back to you ASAP. So now let's jump into Brian's story right after a quick message from our sponsor. Sober Nation is the largest online recovery community and treatment resource center. They provide treatment resources to those struggling with addiction, as well as to the family members who are caught in the crossfire. On top of that, Sober Nation is a huge community of good people who share their experience with each other. They have informative content, recovery and addiction news, as well as an entire clothing line, which helps expand the culture of recovery. They can easily be found at www SoberNation.com. SoberNation is putting recovery on the map. And finally, would you like to receive the most popular AA daily devotions free in one distribution? Transitions Daily delivers daily devotions from the 24 hours a day, AA thought for the day, daily reflections, big book quote, just for today, 
as Bill sees it, plus more. You can get our distribution daily via email, private Facebook group, or Twitter. Go to dailyaaemails.com for more information. And don't forget to share dailyaaemails.com with friends in meetings and with sponsees in recovery. Now back to the show. Hey, Brian, thanks for joining us. It's nice to be here, all. Excellent. I'm so excited you're here. How are you feeling today? I'm feeling pretty good today. I love it. I love it, man. All right, let's get started. So, folks, today we have Brian Bayless joining us on the Share Podcast, the founder of Ascent, a drug, alcohol, and mental health aftercare solution. So, Brian, let's dive right in. Tell us about how your life is today, your hobbies, exercise. Take us into your normal daily routine, including recovery, and tell us just a little bit about Ascent. I know you're going to go further into it as part of your story, but just give us a little brief overview. Okay, so my day, I uh, work out. I start at 4.45 in the morning, um, usually at the gym by 5.30, at a meeting by 7, and uh, then into work by 8. I do a fair amount to make sure that I continue my healthy recovery program. So that's my daily routine. In terms of my work, I now work for a company called Ascent. We have a e-recovery uh, tool, an e-recovery solution to uh, help people with their challenges in recovery. Absolutely. And what does your daily or your recovery routine look like for the week? And so, you know, if it's six to seven meetings, it's taking care of myself physically. I work out four to five times a week. I make sure I take, you know, medications as prescribed. I take care of myself uh, spiritually. I make sure I do a lot of things socially. And I work with other people in recovery. Beautiful. And that's what I do on a daily, weekly basis. Good. And I'd like to know a little bit about your spiritual condition. How do you maintain that conscious contact with a higher power on a daily basis? So I pray a lot. You know, I start first thing in the morning. I uh, pray and and I do some meditation, pray throughout the day, and uh, make sure that I pray and I'm uh, thankful for all the, the happenings of the day. Beautiful. So let's start diving into the past here a little bit, Brian. Tell us how old you were the first time you drank and used drugs. Actually, no, first of all, tell us how much clean time you have and when your anniversary date is. June 13th, 2014. My First date was October 22nd, 2007. All right. So uh, you came back two years ago, right? Roughly? Roughly. Yeah, almost two years ago. All right. So now tell us about that first experience, the first time you drank or used drugs, and more importantly, how... Go ahead. I was 12 years old. I was at a picnic, and I remember somebody pouring me a Budweiser in a styrofoam cup. I can still smell it and I can taste it. And, uh, and I can tell you that uh, I liked it from the first sip. <laughs> and it was Budweiser, right? <laughs> it was Budweiser. Yeah, the worst beer on the planet. Very foamy. Very foamy. <laughs> I, do, I do remember that. <laughs> All right, perfect. All right, Brian, you're warmed up, buddy. So it's time for me to turn this show over to you. It's time for you to share your story, the battle against drugs and alcohol, the wreckage it caused in your life, when you hit rock bottom, and finally your journey into recovery up until today. So, Brian, take it away. Thank you, all. You got it. So I just mentioned my first drink, but 
my first consequences were age 13. I was uh, attending a, uh, a friend's bar mitzvah and looking very forward to his party that evening. But I got into the wine right after his ceremony and uh, I became violently ill and missed the evening. My first blackout was at age 16. I attended a New Year's Eve party. The whiskey was flowing. And uh, apparently I made a real jerk out of myself that evening. <laughs> People carried me home oh. and uh, had to wake up next morning for basketball practice. But it, it was an awful feeling. But it wasn't awful enough to slow me down. Right. I was a little guy in high school. Most of my friends were doing drugs. I didn't do drugs, but I was the drinker. And even in high school, they called me the alcoholic. I could consume a lot. You know, I used to get really, really drunk. Sometimes I'd show up at school events that way. Somehow, I don't know how, but I didn't get thrown out of school. And, you know, I, I got through. I wasn't, uh, wasn't exactly a very good student, but, you know, somehow made it through and, and uh, got into college, which was not an option. You know, growing up, everybody at my school went to college. So I went to uh, college and um, really started to turn my drinking on as a big time binge drinker, it really did not impact my school, which was uh, surprising. When I went to college, I started to uh, get high for the first time, something I really, really, really enjoyed. But uh, I actually stopped after a period of time because it started impacting my grades. I, uh, I wasn't getting up, I wasn't going to classes, but I was able to do it with drinking. So I went back to drinking. In college, I did have some challenges. I got into a lot of fights drunk. Yeah. Um, caused a fair amount of trouble. But, you know, didn't get put in jail or, or anything, you know, much more serious than that. But the fights were pretty bad. But I made it through. I mean, after four years, I, I graduated. I uh, had a girlfriend. Started my first job in public accounting and was still drinking pretty good. But got married and I had family right away. And my drinking was pretty much in check. I would overshoot the mark on multiple occasions, but I still had a hell of a lot of I'm sorry's left at that point. So in my uh, 20s and 30s, I really managed my drinking pretty well. It didn't really have any serious implications. Again, a number of times overshooting the mark, but you know, not a daily drinker at that point. But as I got to my 40s, I did a lot of uh, private equity work, and I was raising a lot of capital. I had some businesses going sideways. Business started to get really, really challenging. I was involved in a, uh, a terrible litigation that lasted five years. And at that point in time, I couldn't handle life anymore and decided I had to figure out some way to escape. And that's when I really started my very, very serious drinking. I was daily drinking and my wife used to get aggravated, which she should have. You know, my behaviors were bad. I was uh, not a good role model to my children. I'd be driving, you know, drunk all the time. And the pressure, you know, continued to mount. You know, every day I lived in fear. Every morning before the drink, I had a pit in my stomach that I could not get rid of. The only way I could get rid of that pit was alcohol. Yes. And I used to remember thanking God for alcohol. Mm. I used to thank God for alcohol. 
and things continued to get more challenging. I started to isolate my relationships with my children and my wife were suffering tremendously. It was an effort for me to work with my clients because I would have to literally put a smile on my face before I'd even pick up a telephone. I was really depressed. And so, you know, the more I was uh, getting pushback from my family, the more I started hiding my drinking. So I started to become as much of a closet drinker as I possibly could. And I would be waking up at like one o'clock in the morning when everybody was asleep and I would do my drinking then and uh, I, you know, do as much as I could get back in bed, whatever time it was, you know, felt really, really wonderful. Even though I know I had so much aggravation in my life, I didn't feel the pain. And I loved that feeling. It lasted maybe 10 minutes until I passed out, you know, wake up the next morning and it only got worse. So I kept bottles in my car so that I could, you know, drink as I would go to meetings and kept bottling my trunk. And my uh, son was home from college and we were going to a high school basketball game. And I told him, you get out and go buy the ticket. And I parked my car in the back of the parking lot, took out my half gallon of vodka out of my trunk, sat in my back seat and had to make sure I put enough in me so I could sit through that basketball game. What I didn't know is that he didn't go in right away and he was watching me, and I still didn't know that evening. Mm. So things, you know, continued to spiral. And one day, which I never did before, I decided I'm not going to work. It's the first time I ever did that. And instead of going to work, I drove to the liquor store as soon as it opened, got a, a fifth of tequila, and just drove around all day. Really had no place to go. I just didn't know what I was going to do with the rest of my life. Really didn't want to live. So I'm driving around. I shut my cell phone off, which I don't do. Finally, about 4.30 in the afternoon, I turn it back on. There's like six messages from my son. You know, when are you going to be home? And it was during the Christmas holiday, and all my children were home at the time. And I come home, and everybody's standing in the kitchen. And they confronted me about my drinking. And, of course, like a great alcoholic, I lied at first. But they had me pretty cold. And it was the first time I actually got emotional in front of my children. They'd never seen me cry before. And uh, it was a really bad, bad day. Yeah. I just really, all I can remember was we sat in the family room. My wife and my one child, they weren't even talking. My son was incredible. He was 18 years old at the time. And, uh, you know, they just really begged me to get help, and which I said I would, only to get them off my back. And finally, I remember going to sleep. I just couldn't wait to get out of that conversation. So I talked to a dear friend of mine. My wife encouraged me to do that, who was in the program. And he was great. You know, he just shared his story with me and said, look, if you ever want to do anything about it, you're more than welcome to come to a meeting. You know, he did a really, really good job. And I certainly wasn't ready to go to a meeting because I, I knew I wasn't one of them. And I could control this when I wanted to, but my life was completely miserable. So, you know, more to get everybody off my back, I decided to go to a meeting. And I remember going in that meeting and feeling so strange and, you know, just praying I wouldn't see anybody I knew. (laughs) I know Um, that feeling. I went to that meeting and I'm thinking, I am not one of these guys. This is ridiculous. 
And I remember them standing up and doing the Our Father, which I would never do. And people talked. So, you know, I went to the meeting. And then I decided, you know, in order to keep placating my wife, my kids, I better show up to one of these once in a while. And I remember about seven months in, and by the way, I was still drinking. I was sneaking it. I just hit it much better. And seven months in, some one of the old timers said to me, so what step are you on? And I very smugly looked at him and said, very proudly, step one. <laughs> and he uh, looks at me and he says, how's that working for you? <laughs> and I won't say what came to mind because this is a, uh, a podcast. You can say whatever the fuck you want. <laughs> well, I thought, you know, fuck you. Who are you? And uh, I was so smart. Meanwhile, I'm miserable and everybody else is laughing. So after 10 months, it got unbearable. And my life was a train wreck. I was doing a lot of things that I was not proud of. You know, I just wasn't living a very honest life. And uh, in fact, I was completely disgusted with myself. And at 10 months, I went to a meeting and stood up and first apologized to the individual who asked me what step I was on and then kind of admitted what a jerk I've been for 10 months. And I kind of uh, I got into the program or I thought I got into the program. You know, I started working the steps. The only problem was, is I was still lying to myself. And in reality, I was nothing more than a dry drunk. Right. So I lied to myself that life was better. And in some respects it was, but I still had a lot of challenges. I still wasn't living an honest life. I wasn't practicing the principles in all my affairs, that's for sure. And when they say half measures of illness, nothing, that's what I got. So, you know, it was really a really long setup for a relapse is mm. what it came down to. Yeah. And, you know, life got worse. My businesses were a disaster. You know, I just didn't want to be here. And I finally got to a point after six years of, of sobriety, I got to a point where I, I just couldn't survive anymore. You know, I, I just wasn't really running the program. And I couldn't survive without doing something else. I was in so much pain. That pit was, you know, as bad as it ever got. So I remember walking to the bar six times before I actually got the drink. I'd walk to the bar. I'd walk away. I'd walk to the bar. Finally, I grabbed a bottle and I drank a lot of that bottle. And, you know, it felt good. I shouldn't say I felt good. I felt relief. Yes. I had some relief. But, you know, that relief didn't last very long. And then, you know, I got busted by my son. He asked me if I was drinking. I'm sure I had on my breath. And uh, he said, you have alcohol on your breath. I just was lying like a son of a bitch and stopped going to my meetings. The little prayer I was doing, I stopped. I stopped talking to my wife. I stopped talking to my kids. I stopped talking to my sponsor. You know, it, it was the perfect recipe. I knew the recipe and, you know, it just made life a lot easier. I stopped working out. You know, I pretty much gave up on life and, uh, one day decided that, you know, I just didn't want to be here. Yep. And, uh, I tried to do something about that. And by the grace of God, I'm still here and was put into treatment, which was a lifesaver. But when I got out, 
I was just as miserable, even more. You know, everybody asked me how I'm feeling. I just lie to get it right off my back. I was completely miserable. They made the house pretty safe. And they took out all the things that could potentially get me in trouble. And, uh, you know, all the alcohol out of the house. I was just miserable and I was incredibly depressed. And, you know, I start my days now at 4.45, 5 in the morning. I wasn't getting out of bed till 2 o'clock. I could barely get out of bed. I had no voice. I just was, you know, in the peak, peak, peak of depression. I couldn't get rid of that bad feeling. And I had meds. They gave me pain meds which I was taking. I couldn't take it like candy like I wanted to because, you know, everything was controlled, but it wasn't enough. So the only thing in my house was uh, rubbing alcohol. And uh, so that's what I did. I finally got to a point where they took me to a facility and checked me in, which saved my life. Yes, I was in pretty bad shape. And on the way to the facility, I admitted what I had done. They put me in the hospital. I was fine. It was uh, six days of being safe. And then I was released and they told me to go to an IOP. And when I showed up to the IOP program, I drove 40 minutes to get there. And I walked in, the administrator grabs me and said, this program's not for you. And I said, what? So they said, (laughs) you know, the program's not for you. I said, so, you know, what am I supposed to do? Well, you know, there's other programs you can find and, you know, most people would have never gone back. You know, I'm fortunate that I have an incredible amount of support. I had incredible family support, I had incredible friend support. Nobody would have let me get out of an aftercare program. So finally, I got into partial hospitalization program, which was for dual diagnosis. You know, I'd go to the meetings. I could barely get my head off the table. And I was that down. There were seven people in that room that were very different socioeconomically than me but very much the same. And those people helped breathe a lot of hope back into me. And I got my voice back and I got my confidence back and I started sitting straighter and I saw that there were some opportunities out there for me. And I'm, you know, an accountant, private equity guy. And uh, within 90 days of that program, unfortunately, six of the seven people in that program relapsed. And I thought, there's got to be a better way. And these people did a hell of a lot for me. So what can I do? And I was not ready to go back to work. I had plenty of time on my hands. So I did a bunch of research and uh, learned just how bad relapse rates are. Yes. And horrible. Uh, what a gap there is in aftercare. The IOP rates, the completion rates for intensive outpatient programs are 30% nationally. You know, that's just not going to get it done. You know, in 70 to 90% relapse rates within the first year, something has to be different. So I spent a lot of time. I found this e-recovery tool, but I thought that people don't recover on technology alone. So we combine that with peer recovery coaching, live virtual peer recovery coaching. And that's the ascent solution that we built. And our mission is to try to reduce relapse rates in this country and to give people an opportunity for longer term sobriety. So, you know, today I live a a much different life after completing the partial hospitalization program. I jumped right in the middle of the bed at AA 
in a gigantic way. Okay. Um, my same sponsor agreed to still sponsor me, who is absolutely phenomenal. And uh, I started going to six to eight meetings a week, which is what I'm still doing. Wow. And I started to do fellowship, which I never did in the first six years. I do all the same things with people that I used to do drunk. I have a great time in sobriety. I've made incredible friends in sobriety. I've met the coolest people in the country as a result of being involved with the Ascent Solution. I've met people that are just, you know, wonderful and giving and focused on the mission and want to help. You know, people have really reached out. This is such a, uh, a team effort, not only by our internal team, but by a lot of people outside who have you know, really helped to build this. It's a real gift. It's a real gift. And it's, it was a gift for me to have the opportunity to get back into the program. So today I have a, a sponsee. I'm working with a bunch of other people, not necessarily as their sponsor, but trying to share my experience, strengths and hopes and try to help people like uh, people reached out to me and helped me. And that's my story. Wow, man. That is textbook alcoholism at its finest. Brian, man, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. It was like heartbreaking. And I think it's one of these moments where as I'm listening to you share your story, I'm thinking so much about your family. I'm right there. I'm right there with you in that parking lot with your son that you didn't even know about drinking. It's like one of those e-Hollywood stories that, you know, you see it and you're just, God, oh man, it's just absolutely heartbreaking. And there's nowhere, and, and the parallels, the parallels to your story and so many of the other stories that I had the privilege to interview, it's all so similar. That resistance to change, that resistance, you know, the disease holds you down and the denial system is so strong that you honestly believe that you don't have a problem. And this whole time, you're just ruining your life and wreaking havoc. And then the solution's always the same. The solution is you have to surrender. You have to go and seek help. You're making, man, I mean, you're almost got two years and you're still doing six to eight meetings a week. So that in and of itself speaks volumes for your recovery and your program. So I applaud you and where you're at today, man. It's what I need to do. And, you know, my recovery is the most important thing in my life. And as long as I can maintain my sobriety, I can be a decent father and, you know, friend and have wonderful relationships. And that's what I'm trying to do. So now that you've, because you told me at the beginning of this interview that you've basically quit your job, right? And you're focusing full time on Ascent, correct? Yeah. Ascent is my focus. And I was uh, doing quite a bit of consulting and early stage private equity work. You know, at this point, we're very hopeful that our solution will make an impact and make a difference. And our objective is to keep people connected. You know, as, as long as people stay connected, they have a chance at recovery. When they isolate, that's when really, you know, bad things happen. And where do people connect today? They connect on their cell phone. You know, people look at their cell phone 150 times a day. So that's where we are. You know, our app's right on their cell phone. You know, we're pushing out messages to them on their cell phone. So, you know, that's the objective is to keep people connected. But this is what I want to do and continue to do. And, you know, hopefully we can be successful in our mission and I can do this for a long time. 
So if our listeners are interested, because a lot of our listeners are very, very early in recovery, some of them have as little as a week. And, you know, many of them just stumble across the podcast because they're desperate and they need they need to listen to something. They need to fill their minds with positive feedback and hope. So for those newcomers that are listening, and that this sounds like an interesting way to go, and they've made the decision that they're going to start making more meetings and they're going to, but they're struggling. They're struggling, right? right? Which is where you come in, right? Where they're struggling, Tell our listeners how they can get a hold of you about the website, a little bit about the app, and what kind of help they can expect from this app. So the website is Ascent, A-S-C-E-N-T dot org. And there's information on the site in terms of how to get a hold of people and how to get a hold of the app. It's really not the app. It's the solution. And the solution is 24-7, 365 peer recovery coaching and the e-recovery tool. And what they can expect is they can expect to be able to stay connected, not only with our peer recovery coaches, but they can connect with other people in the program. You know, a lot of people use our chat function so they can be talking to people, you know, at three o'clock in the morning in California, maybe somebody's in Ohio. So there are going to be plenty of opportunities to talk to not just peer recovery coaches, but peers. And again, it's that constant connection. You know, a lot of your listeners, my guess is, are in rural areas and don't have an opportunity to maybe attend meetings. And this is an opportunity for them to stay connected. For people that have social anxiety, that, you know, have challenges being in social settings, this is an opportunity for them to, you know, not necessarily even talk. They can text. Right. Uh, so, you know, again, it's all about keeping people connected so that they, we can help them with the recovery. Our peer recovery coaches have uh, significant training. They certainly know how to handle a number of situations. But if we don't, we have the resources. We can provide resources for an individual that may need something that we can't supply for them. So that's the expectation. The uh, app, we also have a couple of uh, enhancements that are coming in a few months. And one is a wellness platform and the other is a medication adherence platform. And a lot of us with mental health issues or other issues, you know, sometimes we have challenges adhering to our medications. And the other piece of that is an appointment reminder. So, you know, it's pretty robust, you know, a lot of really good features and, you know, just a lot of features that we think can help people in their recovery. All right. And on the website, are there examples of how the app works? Yes. Like you know, images. You can, you can like get a demonstration. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Because what I like to do is, folks, if you're interested, you can go to the Share Podcast, go to the show notes, and there I'll have the website, and I'll also have the direct link to some of these examples and also to the app. Is the app available currently? Because I know it's brand it new. Is. It is. It, it is. is. Okay. Yes. And yes. listeners, this particular episode is not going to go out for at least another month, possibly two. And so by the time it comes out, there will be a lot of advancements made to it already. And it just launched yesterday, right, Brian? That's right. It right. launched yesterday. This is exciting stuff. And not only that, I'm so pro things like this. So pro just whatever avenue that people need, the more that's available, 
I'm totally pro ways for people to stay connected. The 24-7 aspect is something that I also promote a lot too. The Facebook groups that we have, the cool thing about podcasting and the internet and Facebook is that it's global. And so a lot of our listeners that find their way to the private Facebook groups and the Share Podcast private accountability group, for example, there's people that are from the UK, there's people from Australia, there's people from California. So it's all over the world. So for example, at three o'clock in the morning, a guy in California could be talking to a guy from Australia just on the Facebook private page. And so this is something that's it's very similar, but to another level, because then you've got counselors, you've got leaders in there that you know can actually guide you and give you direction when you're struggling or when you're hurting or just need someone to listen to. Right, Brian? Absolutely. I mean, these are peers. These are people that have been there, done that. You know, who understands how you feel better than somebody that's been there, done that? I'm definitely excited about new ways to bring recovery to people. And like you said, you know, I think you were being generous when you said people look at their phone 150 times a day. You know, <laughs> I think it's a lot more than that. Yeah, you're probably right. <laughs> it has become, you know, I used to lose stuff all the time. And I can't tell you how many times I've left a cell phone somewhere. And I can't remember the last time I never knew where my cell phone was for more than like five seconds. So it is my lifeline. Everything's on there. Everything's on that phone and I can't go anywhere without it. So it's a wonderful lifeline for those people that, uh, you know, need recovery, especially in early recovery. This could be a very vital tool. And so, Brian, I'm very excited about this, man. And, yeah, and, thank uh, you. Thank you, all. I definitely wish you well, and I can't wait to uh, see the advancements in the next couple of months. So, yeah. Brian, let's start closing up over here. I'd like to ask some questions for our newcomers. And what I'd like to do is I'm going to ask you five questions about your early recovery, and I want you to respond with inspiring and insightful answers you can share with our newcomers. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right, let's do this. So, number one, what was keeping you from getting clean or staying clean when you first got introduced to recovery? Honesty. I wasn't living an honest program. I wasn't living an honest life. And uh, if you're not going to be honest in your recovery, you know, you get what you put in. Yes. And I certainly did. Absolutely. Absolutely. And number two, at what point did you have a spiritual awakening, that aha moment in recovery when you accepted that you were powerless over drugs and alcohol, but for the first time had developed the hope that you could recover? really in that partial hospitalization program, I was just beat, you know, and again, I just could barely get my head off the table, but there were, you know, people telling me just how worthwhile I was that in the support of my family. I mean, my family was absolutely, and my friends, I mean, I had so much support, but, you know, I think it was the combination of my friends, my family, and what I learned in the partial hospitalization program and the those people in the partial hospitalization program. I mean, that was kind of my aha moment to make that change. Beautiful. And number three, do you have a favorite book that you would recommend to a newcomer that you read in early recovery? I hope I have the right name is Drop the Rock. Yes. That, yes, it is. That was my favorite. Yeah, I forget who the author is. Uh, I was, forget too. Drop the Rock. It was given to me by one of the guys in the program. And I think it had something to, I can't remember exactly what the, oh, it's a Hazleton edition. Yeah. Drop the rock. Right. It's about six steps, six and seven. I remember after reading it, I remember that I had to go back and redo 
six and seven. So it was very enlightening. Yeah, drop the rock, removing character defects, step six and seven, Bill P, Todd W, and Sarah S. There's three of them, so no wonder we forgot. (laughs) (laughs) All right, and uh, number four, what is the best suggestion you have ever received? Suspend your disbeliefs. Yeah, suspend your disbeliefs. I was not the higher power kind of person. You know, I was, uh, you know, very cynical and sarcastic in my head as I heard people talking about their higher power. And uh, when I finally really, really let go, life started to get better. Beautiful, man. I love it. That is great. And then number five, if you could give a newcomer only one suggestion, what would that be? Jump right in. Just jump right in and don't do what I did and wait 10 months before you even began to fake it. You know, there's no reason you're only going to suffer. Life will get better if you really do the program, if you're really dedicated to it. But don't wait around. Just jump right in. Beautiful, beautiful. You know, the funny thing is that both of these suggestions are just so reminiscent with just enormous amount of denial that we have when we first come in. The resistance and the denial is so powerful. We truly believe that we are different. So true. But that was me. You know, and suspend disbelief, right? Suspend your disbeliefs. Suspend your disbeliefs. That's a wonderful suggestion. And it's uh, the first time we've heard it. I love getting new suggestions. Absolutely. So do our listeners. Good. So, Brian, again, thank you so much for sharing your story with us and enlightening us, brother. Oh, thank you very much. I really appreciate your time. All right, beautiful. So now, folks, we have reached the end of our show. Thanks for joining us. And as we say here in Costa Rica, Pura Vida. Pura Vida, all. Thank you for joining us on the Share Recovery Podcast. To check out the show notes page on this interview or to thank our guests for sharing their story, go to www.thesharepodcast.com. While you're on the website, don't forget to sign up for our free newsletter to stay up to date on the latest news, podcasts, and interviews. Want to be one of our guests and share your story? Then go to our website and click on the Share Your Story button. We share our inspiring recovery stories every Tuesday. So subscribe to our show on iTunes or Stitcher Radio to get your free weekly download. We'll see you then. The opinions shared on this show reflect those of the individual speaker and not of any 12-step fellowship as a whole. And though we discuss 12-step recovery and the impact it had in our lives, we do not promote or endorse any 12-step anonymous program.